Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's the half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles tonight. Clayton Coldwell, John Harlow here with you tonight. We're bringing you another great episode. We're talking about Richmond. It was the Federated All Parts 400. It was Kyle Bush's 50th career victory. We'll discuss that race. It was the second race of, the, of round one of the playoffs. Race three will be the roll at Charlotte. That should be interesting. We'll talk about who's in good shape, who needs to run really good, and who needs to win at the roll because there are two guys, I think, Need to win at the Roble this weekend up there in Charlotte, North Carolina. Also, the Xfinity Series, they ran in a playoff race at Richmond. It was Christopher Bell in victory lane. We'll talk about that a little bit. And the silly season, Ryan Newman has a new home for 2019. We'll talk about all that and more of the silly season. Where's Daniel Suarez end up? How about Daniel Hemrick? He's been linked to a lot of rides. All that and more tonight on Talking Circle. 917-889-8280 is the number to call if you want to join the show here at any time tonight on Talking Circles. First, John, Federated Auto Parts 400 at Richmond International Raceway. Kyle Busch wins it. Uh, he didn't have the best car of the night. I think that belonged to Martin Truex Jr., another pit road issue, and another crazy situation at Richmond here for Martin Truex Jr. prevents him from going to victory lane. He led 163 laps, the most of anybody. Um, and Brad Keselowski was very strong at the end as well, but he burned up his tires. Kyle Busch was able to pull away and go to victory and win his 50th career ra- uh, race at Richmond International at Richmond Raceway on Saturday night. What were your thoughts there on, on Bush's win at Richmond, John? I thought Kyle Busch and his team did the right things. Um, he was he like you said he wasn't the best car all night. I mean, well, actually, I don't think you. I think he pretty much was the best car most of the night because he had to drive up from tail end Charlie to get to the win. Um, and he got up in the top 10 pretty early. I think he got a stage point in the first round. That's how good he was. Uh, he was able to go up, down. Um, at the, throughout the night, everybody had their point to where they were doing really well. Kevin Harvick had a very strong car throughout most of the night. Um, Kyle Busch had a strong car through the night. Keselowski had a strong car. Denny Hamlin did not, which was the big surprise of the evening. Truex had a very strong car throughout the night. Um, Chase Elliott had a really good car throughout part of the night, but it just happened to work out. And it was a great run between Kyle Busch and Brad Keselowski at the end. And Harvick was saying he was hoping that the two of them fought each other a little longer and tore, I mean, wore out each other. So he would be able to pounce on them at the end. Kyle Busch was, they had some great side-by-side racing up there going and Kyle Busch just backed off for about five laps and cooled his tires down, followed uh, Keselowski around. Next thing you know, boom, Kyle Busch has the lead, and he checked out. Up front, you yeah. couldn't ask for more. I mean, they had three cars uh, battling side-by-side, side, the third one right there waiting to pounce. Now, granted, fourth back was about four seconds behind, but the top three, and this is, I think it was the first time all year that the big three – Finish one, two, three. Yeah, it could very well be. A, and it was funny that, that they uh, ran like that because the finish of the night, they weren't really like that. You know, like you said, they they all had their separate moments of the race where everybody was sort of 
um, running better than others. And Kozlowski was even strong. I think when you look at the four strongest cars of this season, uh, Richmond, they, they were certainly on display at Richmond at certain times. Bush won the race. Harvick, you mentioned, had a pretty good car all night, was second in both stages, ended up finishing second, took the pole. Truex was very, very good all night as well at 162 laps. And Kozlowski at the end burned off his tires. He got passed by a, a bunch of cars that weren't as fast as him for most of the event. Um, but he was very strong. So those four guys who have really won a lot, the majority of the races this year, and have really had a strong, strong season, uh, were really the four that were um, the best race cars all night. I thought Chase Elliott ran a pretty good race. Hendricks still seems to be a little bit behind. Jimmy Johnson finished eighth. Alex Bowman was twelfth. Not terrible days for those drivers, uh, but still not where we're accustomed to seeing those that, that team run there. Um, but a, another good run, John, by Eric Amarola. Stuart Haas racing was very good all night. Kurt Busch had some issues. And even Clint Boyer, John, this is a, a, a driver who a lot of people expect to run really, really good at Richmond. He didn't run very good. I know he ended up finishing in the top ten, but I don't think he got any other stage points the rest of the, rest of the night. was really a top 15 car all night long. So to finish tenth was a very was a good finish for him compared to where he ran on the night. I was surprised to see how much Boyer struggled in addition to, as you mentioned, Denny Hamlin. I mean, Denny Hamlin and, and, and another driver who's in our playoffs, Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney started fourth. He finished 19th, two laps down. Uh, a very, very disappointing day for him as well. So Kurt had some issues. He ended up finishing 18th. Uh, those drivers there, John, those those chunks really, really had a tough day, I think. Yeah, they did. Um, Boyer eked out a finish. I don't know how they did it because you look, they were fighting to be the last car on the lead lap going into a stage race. And, I mean, at the end of a stage, Boyer and Denny – or not Boyer, Denny – well, Denny did too, but Boyer and Joey Logano were uh, cutting stages in the middle and taking tires because that's how far off they are. But they figured um, they were about a second a lap faster on new tires so they could end up getting back, unlapping themselves to give them a better position or something to try to make more adjustments on the car. That was a great strategy um, to get them to where they could have – some sort of finish because without it, they would have been back there with Blaney two laps down. Uh, Blaney surprised me. He's not the greatest on short tracks, but I expected better out of Blaney at Richmond considering the way Keselowski and Joey Logano ended up running. I was very shocked that Denny Hamlin was so out to lunch. And I think Denny Hamlin was too, because I mean, you think about it, look at Joe Gibbs racing right now. You've got, Kyle Busch with seven wins. You've got Denny Hamlin with none. You've got Eric Jones with one. And you got Suarez, who's not even in the playoffs. And the difference between Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin on Saturday night was unbelievably different, considering Denny Hamlin qualified on the outside of the front row. And Denny Hamlin is usually money at Richmond, Martinsville, and Pocono. And for them to be that far out the lunch, going into this week at the Roval. And it, what it just says is how, how weird the Richmond race was because they weren't even across the finish line, and you already heard drivers griping about having to go to the Roval, about how they were so scared to what could happen out of it. Harvick got lucky. All he has to do is start the race, and he'll be good. Uh, Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, they're in. Mark Truex Jr. has enough points. He's in. They can't touch him. Harvick starts the race. He's in. So there's four of the next 12, but the other eight, they are still 
not sleeping well tonight. They're not sleeping yes. well tomorrow night. They're definitely not sleeping well Friday and Saturday night because Sunday could be a train wreck. Yeah, and Chase Elliott's only t- he's sitting ninth right now in points. He's only ten points above the cut line. Same thing with Austin Dillon. Then it's Alex Bowman five points. Then Ryan Blaney, and then you got the danger zone, thirteen through sixteen. These drivers would go home if the season ended today. Clint Boyer, Jimmy Johnson, and then the two who I think need to win, John, Eric Jones and Denny Hamlin. Uh, Jones is 21 points back. Denny Hamlin's 30 points back. They have to win this Roval. You know, and when you're looking at drivers, John, who have to win here, do you think this changes their strategy? Or drivers who are doing nothing but racing for wins, a driver like Cobbush, I put uh, Brad Kozlowski in this, as you mentioned, Truex, these drivers, and Harvick, these drivers who really the only goal for them on Sunday is to win. They're not looking to run for points. They're just going to win. Do you think they changed their strategy a little bit? Because to me, this race is such an so unpredictable and such a crapshoot. I might look at it and say, I'm making my pit stop as soon as my, my uh, fuel strategy opens. As soon as my fuel window opens, I'm making a pit stop so I can go out and single file, cut laps that way. This way I'm not racing against anybody. There's parts of this racetrack that Never, we've never seen cars run side by side by with, uh, and we've seen cars even during the testing by themselves spin out all the time and crash. Joe Gibbs jokingly said, "You know, how many cars are going to bring there and wreck about about the Charlotte test?" So it, it's it's going to be a wild event. I just have to wonder what the strategy is. If I'm going to win, if my goal is to do nothing but win this race, I might look at this and say, as soon as my window opens. If we get if we're green through four laps, which I think is very very uh, highly not possible, but if we are, as soon as I got a few window opens, I'm coming in pitting, and then we'll get out in in you know uh, clean air and all by ourselves, and we can sort of run our own race and not have to be worrying about the chaos, and then run. You almost sort of like a restricted plate here, John, like a restricted plate race. Yeah, it almost seems that way. I mean, I've never heard. I mean, Kevin Harvick is i mean heck he's won seven times this year he's won a boatload on the throughout his career him and kyle bush both said i mean you don't know what's going to happen harvick's been i mean he said i'm he's basically scared of it almarola said you haven't seen two people run together in certain parts of the track the one person who i see going balls to the wall after a win is going to be kyle bush Partially because Kyle Busch is the only guy in the series who's won at every track because he won in the Coke 600 this year to say he finally won at Charlotte. But then they're going to say, then they said, well, you know, the Roval's a different track. So now Kyle Busch says, well, got to put that one under the belt so I can say I've won everywhere again. I can see him going at it. Adam Stevens wants to just sit back and relax and have a nice Sunday and see where the chips fall. I think Kyle Busch is going after it. The other person, I agree with you, Denny Hamlin is going to go after it. Denny Hamlin is a good road course racer. He's won at, the, he's won at Sonoma before. Uh, he's been competitive at Watkins Glen. Denny Hamlin is a very good road course racer. Um, Boyer's a good road course racer. The ones who I'm worried about more than anybody when it comes to the Roval, I'm worried about the Austin Dillons. I'm worried about the Ryan Blaney's. I'm worried about the... Eric Jones, I'm worried about, I mean, those are guys who are not really good at the road courses. I'm also worried about Jimmy Johnson just because 
if bad luck can bite them in the ass this year, it has. And with 17 different turns, there's 17 ways you can get bit. And Mm -hmm. Jimmy Dawson doesn't have that rabbit's foot attached to him this year. Let's see what happens on Sunday. But unless something crazy happens, I almost see Jimmy Johnson going home at the end of this this round. I, I mean, my Number guess seven, at the end of this round, Jimmy Johnson, Ryan Blady, excuse me, Austin Dillon, and Eric Jones are the four that go home. I think Denny, unless Denny, excuse me, if Denny Hamlin wins the race. If Denny Hamlin doesn't win the race, I think Blaney advances. Barely. Number seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero here talking in circles. Clayton Caldwell, John Harlow. Yeah, it's gonna be crazy. I mean, I, I know we're, we're putting a lot of emphasis on on this race in the Roval, but I mean, I I don't know how you can't think it's crazy. You know, I've said this about this track all year long. I think when you when you think about this track as a separate racetrack from Charlotte, which it is because we've never run the Roval before. We've never introduced a Cup track in the modern era that I know of that has never seen a race on there ever on this configuration. This configuration has changed four different times already. Just little tweaks, but still it's changed four different times already um, since they've announced that they were going to do the Roval. So to me, uh, I I just hope we're not in a situation here where we're going to get in a spot and say it's going to cost somebody a championship because of an oversight. Um, You're right about Hamlin. Hamlin's got to win. I think so does Eric Jones. There's no way Jones is going to gain 21 points uh, without some chaos, but this race, I think, will get you that. Jimmy Johnson, and and this is shocking for me to say this because every year um, Jimmy's always there at the end. Even if he advances, he's not not going to get out of the second round. I mean, that 48 team, for whatever reason, is just not running good this year. Um, I know Austin Dillon ran really good this, this weekend at Richmond, had a really fast car. Sixth place run was in the top ten for most of the day. They should have been very happy with to see the speed on that on that three car, but they're still a ways away from winning races and competing for a championship. Um, same thing with Alex Bowman, Ryan Blaney. You need to perform better than what you did on Saturday night at Richmond. Uh, if he want, you know, to me, he puts himself in a better spot if he finishes in the top ten. He's probably breathing a lot easier if he finishes in the top ten at Richmond. And for whatever reason, they couldn't do it. So that that's going to be the telltale of Ryan Blaney's season, I think, here. Uh, because I just think everybody's going to have issues. I don't think it's just going to be one guy. And that's what I sort of don't like about this role is, you know, is this championship, are these guys going to advance strictly on luck? You know, that that's where I sit there and I go, do we really want our championship based 100% on luck? Or do we want them to have, you know, some sort of performance. Now you say that and you say, well, it's not really because Kyle Bush won at Richmond. Uh, Harvick locked himself in. Truex locked, and the big guys, Kozlowski locked themselves in. Those drivers have locked themselves in. So everybody else um, is in trouble. And I, I truly believe everybody else from the, the four that aren't locked in are in trouble here on Sunday at, at the Roval because it's just such a, a question mark and, and there's just so much uh, uncertainty going into this race. Well, like you said, if I'm fifth, sixth, seventh place on back, I do the strategy you do. Three balls in the I forest, go in, but uh, everyone's too busy eating cake at your house on I go and end up doing the strategy where I'm going to come in and pit, and I'm going to drive by myself and stay out. It's almost like riding the back at Talladega because all you need to to get to where they need to be, they need to finish. 
And if you're fourth, fifth, I mean, fifth, sixth in points, you have like a 15, 20 point lead over the 15th, 16th place guy. I'd ride around the back, wait and see what happens, wait for the attrition to come. And then you can go for it at the end. I just don't see, I don't see the Eric Almarola's of the world. I don't see the Kurt Bushes of the world. I don't see them getting up there in the middle of this mess, trying to bang fenders with somebody because there's too much that nobody knows about. And they said they don't even, I mean, the simulator, they've tried to do it, but they changed the course so many damn times. They don't even have a good simulation on it. So I don't know how they're going to end up knowing they're going to 10 to one. You watch, there's going to be somebody who has a map of this, of the track taped to their dash. So they know where the hell they're going. I just think putting this race in the playoffs was stupid. And you said when pure luck determines where you go, of the 10 races in the playoffs, now there's two pure luck races where you hope to survive Talladega. Now you hope to survive the Roval. And this is an elimination race. It's not fair to the competitors. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out for sure. I mean, um, you're right about the simulations. You know, they don't even have that because they never want to race there. So how can you have a simulation and be 100% accurate when you've never run even – you know, there's not even been a cane in the East race or any kind of late model short, like we've seen with other racetracks where you say, okay, they've never run a race there. Um, you know, to me, it's just, it, it, you look at it and you say that's sort of a safety hazard as well um, from all that standpoint. 917-889-8280, talking about uh, the NASCAR Xfinity Series race here now, John, from, from uh, Friday night at Richmond. It marked... And it was an interesting race that marked the return of Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. led 96 laps. Uh, he finished fourth, got beat there at the, on the final restart. It looked like the car just didn't handle, but I thought a very good performance from him um, for being out of the race car all year long. And Richmond's one of his best racetracks, and I know that's a very, very good race car. Uh, but he, he, I thought he did very, very well. He finished fourth, but your winner, and the most important thing, was Christopher Bell. Went out there, sat on the pole, uh, was a top three, top five car all day long, you know, and got that car really handling very well at the end of that race. He was your winner. Ross Chastain, who was a who had to come from the rear because he made some unapproved adjustments on that 42 car, was never really able to get some track position, so we really didn't see what that 42 car had. He ended up second. Daniel Hemrick was third. It was Dale Jr. fourth. Matt Tiff in fifth. Uh, sixth was Elliot Sadler, Tyler Reddick, Brandon Jones, Shane Lee, and Ryan Reed rounded out your top ten. What did you think of the Xfinity Series race? Goal bowling 250 at Richmond, John. Surprise, Ryan Reed still has a ride with Jack Roush right now. I think probably one of the dumbest things I've seen was Ryan Reed take out Ty Majeski, and that was a tough hit that Ty Majeski took. I thought Dale Jr. held his own. He looked really good in the car, and he not just the way he drove, but the way he gave – uh, analysis whenever they had caution flags and they went down to him. Uh, after he won the stage, and he was excited that he won his first stage ever in his NASCAR career. And I thought Dale Jr. ran really well. Christopher Bell had the best car at the end of the night. Uh, Dale Jr. had a really good long-run car. He did not have a short-run car. And for them throwing that together, a one-race deal, uh, that was pretty good performance by Dale Jr. and the uh, 88 team for Junior Motorsports. I thought Christopher Bell ran good. I really was impressed with the way Ross Chastain came through the field. Um, 
having the unapproved adjustment. And one of the things that he did, and they talked about it a lot on the broadcast, was the first 10, 15 laps, Ross Chastain would always lose spots because he was saving his tires for the longer run. And he, he then he would come through the field. It's like they would come back to him. It's the old uh, – Take care of your tires, and they'll come back to you, and you'll keep your speeds consistent. Ross Chastain did that. He just couldn't get uh, Eric Jones at the end of the race. Um, the sad part is, for Ross Chastain, he isn't locked in. I, mean, I think he'll be okay getting through the first round of the uh, playoffs, but unfortunately, right now he's going back to Johnny Davis Motorsports, and Johnny Davis Motorsports cars are not Chip Ganassi cars. And you look at what um, the three races that he ran for Chip Ganassi, he was leading when he wrecked with Harvick. He won Vegas. He was second at Richmond. I mean, Ross Chastain has done nothing but show uh, how good he is. And Dale Jr. in a press conference after the race, he said he talked to Ross Chastain. He said, I hate to see the idea that Ross Chastain may not have something to go to. He deserves to be in good equipment. Dale Jr. said, if I had the money, if I had the sponsorship, I'd put him in one of my cars tomorrow. The problem is, and this is the way the sport is getting to, very rarely do you get sponsorship without a driver attached to it. It used yeah, to be he's the team got free. And the, the teams used to get sponsorship and hire the drivers. Now the sponsors are attached to the drivers. And that's not that's hurting the sport again. And it's hurting good drivers like Ross Chastain, who showed himself in good equipment. Same way Ryan Priest did with Joe Gibbs. Both of them have basically, Ryan Priest basically bought his ride for Joe Gibbs. Uh, Chastain, it's been reported that he drove for free. I think he got something out of it because I don't think Chip Ganassi is going to let him drive for free, win a race, finish second. But he took a hit to driving good equipment. And heck, if I'm if I'm Ross Chastain, I have a chance at the championship. I go, hey Chip, I'll drive for you the rest of the year for free. The only problem is there's a lot of races left in the season that are tied to John Hunter and Eamon Jack. Yep. Well, it's yep. gonna be interesting to see how that plays well, out be because to see how that plays out. Um, when you see what uh, Johnny Davis did this week with Vinnie Miller, you know, and I know people look at that and say, well, Vinnie Miller hasn't had a good year, and he hasn't, but. I wonder if there's more to that story. Maybe Johnny Davis is going to shut down a, a, a car there. He runs four cars. He's starting parks once. So technically, he runs three. Um, well, he ran a 15. I guess he runs four cars there uh, at Danny Motorsports. I wonder if he's going to figure out a way to get Chastain as competitive as possible, where he shuts down a team and gets as many people on that team as possible, or he takes some funding and takes what he's going to spend on the other team and buys better race cars for Chastain to give him a legit shot in the playoffs. Now, you're right. He's probably going to advance. This Roval puts him in an interesting situation. Uh, he's fourth in points right now, you know, and he's not a great road racer, but he's not a bad road racer. Um, he's, he's very, very – he's good. He's, he's good. He's not – you know, we saw him run, I think, in the top 15 most of the day, and he's, there's three road course races in the four now in the Xfinity Series. I think he finished in the top 15 in all of them or close to it. Um, so he, he'll be there. He'll be in the top 15. He'll be able to accumulate points that way. And then the, the following weekend uh, is at Dover, and he, he's a, a good driver. I just have to wonder if Johnny Davis is going to figure out a way here, if this whole deal with Vinnie Miller is a way to get Ross Chastain better equipment or get him a, a better opportunity to win a championship 
in the four car because if you're Johnny Davis, why not do it? Why not throw everything you got at it? And I, and I understand that you say, well, there's a lot of people out there. They shouldn't worry. They got two other teams to worry about. That's that's worked hard all year. But this is an opportunity for Johnny Davis and this JD Motorsports team to really relish in this situation. You're in the playoffs. You've got a driver who, who can really, really run. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I think Chastain's out of this ride at the end of the year, out of the four car. I think he's going to go somewhere where it could be a lot more competitive. So this is your last chance at really winning a championship. Maybe your only chance ever for JD Motorsports to win a championship. Why not throw the kitchen sink at it and say, you know what? And if you lose, you have no regrets. I did all I could. And uh, so I wonder if that deal with Vinnie Miller is has to do with uh, giving Ross Chastain a little bit more competitive, either race cars or more people on that team. To, to be a little bit more competitive win that championship in, in 2018. I wonder if there is a um, whatever Chip Ganassi with the deal that they have, I wonder if there's extra cars sitting over there at Chip Ganassi Racing that somehow funnel their way to the number four car for JD Motorsports. I mean, Chip invested time and effort into Ross Chastain. Um, DC Solar, the CEO of DC Solar walked up to Ross Chastain whenever they were in the pits at California and said, hey, I really like what you're doing, and we're going to find a way to do something. And they got three races in with DC Solar. I wouldn't be surprised to find that because of these three races and where Ross Chastain sits in the playoff spot, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some backdoor Chip Ganassi stuff flying over, I mean, making its way over to Johnny Davis Motorsports. Maybe the pit crew from the one team ends up pitting the uh, four car this time. I mean, you look, Johnny Davis Motorsports does a heck of a lot with very little. And he's been one of those guys who you really root for because he is the underdog. To see one of the big boys help this little guy out because Ross Chastain has done everything you could possibly do. He got himself into the playoffs into the four car. I mean, he was locked. He- was going to make the playoffs even before he won the race at Vegas. But winning the race at Vegas, having a strong showing of the second place at Richmond, starting tail end Charlie. I mean, Ross Chastain, I would love to see somehow Chip Ganassi either funnel a few cars over there, get the cars set up, prepared, everything ready to go, or maybe say, hey, Mike Shiplett, you put the thing in. We'll still run the 42, and we'll run it with either – the one team or something like that, you take your guys over there and try to win a championship because they're not going to win it in the 42. Um, That's a part-time team and everything that goes with it. So the only way Chip Ganassi can have a piece of a championship, I think Chip's one of those guys who, even though it wouldn't be his, knows in the back of his head, I had a chance to help somebody out and get him a championship. Yeah, even share information, you know, uh, show them their notes from Chip Ganassi to JD Motorsports and say, here's what we got, here's what we're putting in the race car. It'll be interesting to see if, that, if something like that happens here down the road for Ross Chastain. He currently sits fourth. He's behind Allgaier, Hemrick, and Christopher Bell. Then it's Elliot Sadler, fifth in the point standings. Matt Tiff, Tyler Reddick, and Brandon Jones, the top eight. The bottom four, and there's still two races to go, and they're round one of the playoffs. So, you know, this is they still got a couple of weeks here to um, – to get going if, if they're in the bottom four here. The bottom four are Cole Custer, Ryan Truex, uh, Austin Sindrick, and um, Ryan Reed here uh, in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. The 38th goal bowling 250 at Richmond was the uh, was the race 
at Richmond International Raceway. So uh, a very competitive week, I think, as far as the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series went. Uh, but some other big news here, John, from the Cup Series came on Saturday afternoon. It was really broke Friday. Uh, they announced it officially on about 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. That was Ryan Newman. Ryan Newman has been speculated. We knew uh, a couple of weeks ago that he was going to leave Richard Childress Racing at the end of the season. And the rumors were hot and heavy that he was going to head to Ross Fenway Racing. They made it official. Ryan Newman signed a multi-year deal to drive the number six car at Roush Fenway Racing in 2019. Um, what are your thoughts on this? I think a lot of people were sort of surprised by this because Roush Fenway has been not been very competitive. I just wrote an article um, a few minutes ago, and it's going to be in tomorrow's newsletter on FrontStretch.com about Roush Fenway. They've won two since the tw- beginning of the 2015 season. They've run. They have won two races, both of them on restricted plates with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And that's the only time they've made the playoffs in that time. So Rash Fenway's really hit some hard times here over the last three or four years. And I think that surprised some people. Sure. Richard Childress racing um, isn't as competitive either. You know, Newman's been there. This is his fifth season. He's only won one race there, but I think this sort of surprised people because Newman's a very good race car driver. Rash Fenway's really struggled here. What were your thoughts on this whole deal going from Richard Childress to Rash Fenway for Ryan Newman? Well, I think it's a borderline lateral move, but it has a chance of being a step up. Um, I think Newman walked through the uh, whatever the Jacks play, saw what they had, saw what they're go- what they're doing, and one of the things that Jack looked at is the he wanted Matt Kenseth originally to stay, and Matt Kenseth talked with Katie. Talked, he's got four young girls under the age of nine. And Matt Kenseth didn't want to commit to a full season. And you don't blame him. Uh, he's made a ton of money. But he still, if he's going to drive anywhere, he said it was going to be Roush Fenway. He still wants to be part of the Roush Fenway organization. So I think there'll be a place there for Matt, Matt Kenseth. And Ryan Newman joked originally at the press conference, oh, by the way, Matt, I hired Matt to be my driver coach. Um, I think Newman's engineering background is something that really uh, tweaked into what Roush wanted to get. Matt Kenseth found some things in the front and rear end of the cars that Roush was putting together, and they've made improvements. Since Matt Kenseth put his butt in the seat over at Roush Fenway, you've seen improvement in both cars. It hasn't been lights out, but you've seen improvement. But if you look at how NASCAR works, you've got to be a top 20 car. Then you've got to hope to be a top 15. Then you've got to hope to be a top 10. And if you're in the top 10, then you're in, the, then you're, then you're talking, then you're in business. Because from the top 10 up, it's a matter of, a lot of times, luck and skill. Um, so I think it's a good move for Newman. He doesn't want to retire. He has, Kate, he has uh, um, his wife and kids' blessing to keep driving. So he wants to go drive somewhere. He had great, great success with Ford when he first came in. One of the things he joked about, they called me the rocket man when he first came into the sport because he had Ford power under the hood. He had, he had Roush Yates engines, and they were going to town. Guess what? He's got Roush Yates engines again. He's not going to be qualifying 25th and 15th to 25th like he is with Richard Childers' engine. He's going to have the same engine that Harvick has, that Boyer has. He'll be qualifying toward the front. And I think what Ryan Newman will bring to the table will help Ricky Stenhouse Jr. out. I think it will help out Roush Fenway as a whole. 
and we'll see what they have for sponsorships. Steve Newmark said they'd talk about that a little later, but I think Ryan Newman will bring, and you and I talked about it, Ryan Newman is the guy that Richard Childers should have kept because he brings something to the table from the engineering standpoint, from the uh, driver who knows what he's doing standpoint, and, and I can guarantee you he's helped Austin Dillon um, grow through his career. I think he's going to help Ricky Stenhouse take another step forward, and I think he's going to help make Roush Fenway have better cars. Yeah, one of the things they really hit on um, in the press conference with Newman was his engineering background. Uh, and we know you talked about this. We know for Roush Fenway, it's not that they don't have the horsepower to compete further behind on the engines, because we see it with Harvick. Harvick's been one of the best cars all year long, if not the best car all year long. Um, Stuart Haas Racing, all those cars, all the Fords get get the Roush Yates engines. Brad Keselowski just came off uh, uh, three in a row, three victories in a row. So you know the engine program over there at Roush Yates is very, very good. It's as strong as it's ever been. So there's more to it than that, um, whether it was the drivers. Now, Matt Kenseth is a great race car driver, gets in there, and he can't, you know, yeah, they've improved, but he's still a 15th-place race car driver, so there's still a lot of work to do. Now, Newman will help this over the long haul of the year, but there's certainly some things um, that need to go on there. I don't think anybody expects Newman to go out there and win a championship in this sixth car, but I think he makes him a, automatically makes him a playoff contender. Uh, he's just that good. Um, so it was sort of curious, though, because I truly believe, John, and, and I know a lot of people are going to look at this, and when you look at uh, the people who are being mentioned in that 31 car, you know, when you look at the names that now that are mentioned there, Daniel Suarez is a guy who's mentioned in that car. Daniel Hemrick is also mentioned in that car. I think these drivers either bring funding, which is Suarez's case, or they're going to take a salary that is way less than a veteran race car driver's like Daniel Hemrick. And I think these guys who – Rash was desperate, I believe, to get a very good race car driver in here, a veteran race car driver who wants to run full. Matt said, listen, I can't run full-time. I made a commitment to my family that I'm not going to run full-time. I'll help you out when I can. I still want to race, but I'm not into the full-time deal anymore. And you can understand that. Matt's made a lot of money, won a championship. Uh, to me, he's the first ballot Hall of Famer. He's, he's got nothing else to prove. Um, 36 weeks is 38 weeks is a crazy amount to, to, to dedicate to this sport uh, year in and year out. So Kenseth, I understand that where he's coming from. So if you want a veteran driver, there's not a lot out there that will go to Roush Fenway Racing. Um, you know, we talked about their struggles. So there's not a lot of a good veteran race car drivers out there. Ryan Newman was your guy. You had to get Ryan Newman or you were basically – not going to get anybody or, or get the guy you don't want or somebody who is young that, that's unproven or um, whatever. So you're not a team that can take that risk right now. You need a veteran race car driver, and that's, I think, why they either overpaid for Newman and said, listen, whatever it takes to get you here, we want you here. And um, you're right. Don't know what the sponsorship's going to be, but I don't think Jack and that Rash family team is in a, in a situation where they have to worry about the money. Yeah, sponsorship's nice to have, and I think they definitely want to have it, but they – own a portion of that engine program that funds all the four teams. They're not hurting for money right now at this point, but they have to improve. There's no doubt about that because if they don't, they're no longer going to be a team that people look at and say, I want to go there. Um, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is tied in there, and now you got Newman. So you have a good core race car drivers there, I believe, 
that can at least contend for the playoffs. Um, and we'll see. But something interesting, I just think Roush was in a, in a, in a spot where they had to get Ryan Newman. They couldn't pass him up. It also is Jack Roush is not getting any younger. And I think Jack Roush does not want to see his cars running 15th to 25th on a regular basis. Jack wants to be competitive. Jack wants to be the cat in the hat again where he is relevant in the garage area. And for the past few years since Carl Edwards left, um, Roush Fenway has been an afterthought. And it's sad that that's what it's become. Um, I think Newman, like I said, Newman will be a good piece to help in there. I don't, I don't know how much Roush paid him. They didn't talk about it. They said it was a multi-year deal, but they didn't go into how many years. So that's at least two, but it could be more. I think it's a good move for Roush Fenway to put somebody in the car who can give you really, really good feedback that the engineers can take back and figure out what they need to do if they have a front-end problem, if they have hearing box issue, if they have the way the weight is on the rear end, Newman's going to be able to feel it in the seat and be able to give good information back. That's one of the reasons Newman and Tony Gibson work so well, sort of like Kurt, Kurt, uh, Kurt Bush and Tony Gibson work so well. Newman could take the feel of the seat and translate it to the crew chief. The crew chief could translate it to the engineers, and boom, you had it fixed. Um, Newman ran great in the 39 for Stuart Haas Racing. Um, it wasn't because of performance that Newman went away. It's because they said they didn't have enough room for three, for four cars, and Tony made a deal with Kevin Harvick a year earlier. And it wasn't performance that sent Ryan Newman out the door at Stuart Haas Racing. I think performance at Richard Childers Racing is, the why, is part of the reason why Ryan Newman wanted to leave the door. Because he he has a he had a good contract there, but I think Ryan Newman wanted to leave as much as Richard Childress didn't want to pay him. You could very well be right. I mean, um, you know, like we said, it's one win in five years with that team. They've missed the playoffs two years, made it three over there at that thirty-one team. So, and it's not like they've but he finished runner-up in twenty fourteen. So it's not like they've been lighting the world on fire. But I think certainly when you look at what the 31's done over the last five years and what the six has done over the last five years, you kind of sit there and you go, ooh, it seems like a lateral move at best right now for Ryan Newman. So that's something to keep an eye on. I mean, uh, what do you think, real quick, before we move on to other silly season talk, what do you think Newman's expectations are next year? I mean, we know what we got right now with the six car. Who knows if they're going to make a crew chief change, whether Newman has that much pull where he says, listen, I got a guy I want, or whether Matt Pusch is okay there or not. Um, what do you think his expectations are? Do you think that, that he's got, you know, expected to make the playoffs in that six car? I think Newman's hoping to make the playoffs in the six car. I believe he thinks Matt Kenseth did enough to help it get moving toward that direction. And I think Newman also believes that you look at this year, Austin Dillon won the Daytona 500 and didn't do squat afterwards. I think Ryan Newman wants to take his chances of having a Roush Yates engine with his driving style and driving ability at the Daytona 500 or the Pep Zero 400 or the, the Spring Talladega race and have that horsepower behind him and have his chance on the restrictor plate to get in. I think he, I think he wants to make the playoffs this year, but I also think he wants to, wants to make sure 
that there's I think he believes there's a process of what they need to do to get better. Right now, that sixth car is a 15th to 20th place car at best. I think this year Newman hopes to his ability and his feedback to the engineers and everything can turn it from a 15th to 20th place car at best into a 10 to 15th place car at best. And if they're a 10th to 15th place car at best on a consistent basis, and Newman doesn't tear up a lot of equipment, they could end up being in the playoffs on points the same way he did before the first year he was at Childers. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think um, that's certainly where his expectations are right now, just because of his his resume and what he's done in the past. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Clayton Cole, John Harlow here with you, talking silly season. Another name that that sort of reared his head this weekend was Daniel Suarez. And I think the most interesting thing about this whole Suarez situation now is I think you can count him out as far as the ninety five is concerned. Um, you know, he had some interesting comments to Bob Pockers from ESPN about his time at Joe Gibbs Racing said basically there's nothing good to say, you know, uh, don't say anything, so I guess I won't say anything. So, it, you know, removed uh, Joe Gibbs Racing from his Twitter bio, uh, really removed anything that had any association with Joe Gibbs Racing from his Twitter as well. You can understand certainly where he's coming from. You know, um, I think it's, it's Joe Gibbs is caught between a rock and a hard place because you have Cole Perms, an excellent crew chief, you have Martin Truex Jr. as an excellent driver together. They're championship contenders. You have to put them somewhere. And Suarez was the guy who hasn't performed as well. Now, I think it's unfair, like I said earlier, for two years to sit there and say, well, I expect Daniel Suarez to run for a championship in two years. I think that's very unfair. But to me, that was the most logical move. Um, so, it, to me, it looks like he doesn't want anything to do with Jokic Racing. And if that 95 car has an association with Joe Gibbs Racing, which it looks like that they're going to lean, lean towards. I don't think Swords is going there, which opens up the door for the 31 at, at Richard Childress Racing and the 41 at Stuart Haas Racing. Now, both have been rumored this week. Uh, Chris Knight said the 31 was likely. I heard that from other sources as well that Richard Childress was likely. I think it was Bob Pockris this week, today on Twitter, said he heard it's the 41 most likely for Suarez. Uh, Adam Stern said both of them are really courting him hard. What do you think about Suarez's future here in Cup? He's certainly going to be, I think, one of the other 31 or the 41. Uh, where do you think he ends up here, John? Um, to be honest with you, I think – flip a coin. If it's Daniel Suarez wanting the best ride that's available, he goes to the 41. The question is, and we've seen it, is Daniel Suarez ready for the 41? We both think that Daniel Suarez was rushed a year too early to the Cup Series, even though he won the Xfinity Championship. And I don't know how much of it was Carlos Slim pushed him to the Cup Series and sort of pushed Joe Gibbs to say, hey, pick someone to go away. And Carl Edwards raised his hand and said, okay, I'll go home. Or it was derived by Carl Edwards deciding to go, deciding to go away and Daniel Suarez coming up. It's been announced that Eris is going to put five million bucks toward wherever Daniel Suarez goes. So at least there's some money coming to the table. Now, five million dollars to Richard Childers is a lot of money. Five million dollars to Gene Haas is a drop in the bucket. If Gene Haas is committed to four cars that are competitive, I don't know 
if putting Daniel Suarez in the 41 is any different than putting Danica Patrick back in the 10, except instead of crashing a bunch and finishing 30th and bitching about it, he'll be 20th and not complaining about it. I don't really see Daniel Suarez as being the guy who's going to keep four cars in the playoffs that Stuart Haas has this year. I don't think he's ready for the playoffs. I don't think he's um, one of the top-notch drivers in the circuit. Now, as if it goes by the way Clayton has been saying for the past six months, with the package coming in for half the year, you can put a monkey in it and end up in the playoffs. So if you can get $5 bucks, Daniel Suarez attached to it, I put him in a 41. But if, it's, if you're looking for the best driver that's available, I don't think it's Daniel Suarez. I think Daniel Suarez's $5 million at Eris will get him a heck of a lot more at Childress than it will at Stuart Haas. At Childress, he's one of two. At Stuart Haas, he's number four. And he's been number four for the past two years at Joe Gibbs Racing. He's going to be the fourth car at Stuart Haas Racing, no matter what. And I don't know if I'd want to go to that situation. I'd rather go and be one of two knowing that you're getting the full assets and full support of Richard Childers Racing instead of getting scrappy because you know there's a pecking order at Stuart Haas Racing. It's going to be Harvick. It's going to be Boyer. It's going to be Eric Almarola. And then, oh, by the way, Daniel Suarez, you get the, uh, you get the car or you get the leftovers from the other three cars. It's interesting because I think you could have said the same thing about Joey Logano when Logano moved over from – Joe Gibbs racing to Team Penske. And it was really a a fresh start for Joey Logano. He really performed very well, and now we look at Logano as a, as a year-in, year-out championship contender in that number 22 Ford for Team Penske. Maybe it's the same thing for Suarez. Maybe he needed this, you know, and there's certainly going to be some uh, fire on, in that belly to prove everybody in, at Joe Gibbs racing wrong. Um, so maybe that's something to look out for. But you know, do you think, and I had this discussion with Lee Virginia today, do you think this is a situation where if you're Suarez, the 95, let's say the 95 is aligned with Joe Gibbs Racing, do you think he's making a mistake here? Now, listen, I've said this before. I think I would be probably in the same way as Daniel Suarez. I'd be very, very annoyed with Joe Gibbs and Joe Gibbs Racing because I have a contract to be there, and all of a sudden I'm out of a ride. Um, so I don't blame him for that. But do you think maybe he could swallow some pride and say, you know what, my best career move, even though uh, I'm not going to be in the, in the 19 car next year, my best career move would be to go to the 95, be aligned with Toyota, TRD Power still. Joe um, Gibbs Racing, we're still going to have a good crew seat there. Everything's going to work out perfectly if I just go to the 95 team. I'll still be very competitive. Do you think he's making a mistake here by maybe going to the, one, uh, the other two teams? No, not one bit. Until the 95 turns into what the 78 turned into, no. Levine Family Racing thought they were improving with Casey Kane this year. We needed a driver to go with the equipment that we have, and they took a step backwards for what Michael McDowell was in that car last year. I don't see the 95 walking in if they're the fifth Toyota team. I don't see them having the same ability to do what they can do what the 78 team did. They'll get the Joe Gibbs equipment, which, okay, that's great. The 78 team, Mark 
Cole Pern and those boys out of Denver made Joe Gibbs equipment better. The 95 team will just say, okay, here we go. We got Joe Gibbs equipment. Let's see what we got. Because I don't see things getting better at the 95 team just by changing the plate on the front of the car from Toy- from Chevy to Toyota. I think they have the um, inner workings of the team. I don't think they have the engineering background. I don't think they have the simulation. I don't think they have the sh- five-post shaker. I don't think they have the ability to do what Furniture Row did in Denver to Joe Gibbs equipment. If I'm Daniel Suarez, I either go to Richard Kilders Racing, which is an established team and has shown the ability at times to be respectable, or I go to Stuart Haas Racing to a car that is in the playoffs right now with an established team with Ford Power, which has every bit of horsepower that TRD has in it. If I'm Daniel Suarez, the 31 or the 41 are my choices. Yeah, for sure. I, I completely agree with you. That's a very interesting point you made there, John. Uh, speaking of the 31 and 41, um, you know, now, now you got Daniel Hemrick, who's a guy uh, in the Xfinity Series, certainly I, I think will be in the Cup Series next season. It certainly looks that way. Apparently both the 95 and the 31 are courting him hard for Daniel Hemrick. Uh, do you think you – know, he's had two years now in the Xfinity Series – do you think he's ready for the for the Cup Series? Um, and where do you think he ends up? He, you know, here's a guy who hasn't won a race yet in the Xfinity Series, but he's running hard for this championship. I think he's, an out, he's got an outside shot at it. Uh, what are your thoughts on Daniel Hemrick? Uh, where do you think he ends up? You know, I think it was, it was the 95. I think it's going to be a Toyota-affiliated team. If it's the 31, it's going to be Richard Childress Racing. So um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think... I saw somewhere today where silly season, the key to where, where things go from now, banks on Daniel Suarez. So if Daniel Suarez picks the 31, Hemrick goes to the 95. If Daniel Suarez picks the 41, Hemrick goes to the 31. And then the 95, they're going to probably, there's a shot Christopher Bell could end up in that. I still think if I'm Tony Stewart and Gene Haas, if I'm going to pay somebody and it's going to be a young driver. They said they don't. They still don't think Cole Custer's ready. If I'm going to pay a young driver, I'm going after Christopher Bell because that's somebody I can bank on. Because you look at Stuart Haas Racing as it sits right now. Kevin Harvick's in his 40s. Clint Boyer's in his 40s. Eric Almirola's in his mid 30s. If you want to continue to build for the future, Christopher Bell is a guy I would put my hat on and say, "Okay, congratulations, Christopher." You've got a year or two to learn, but then once that time comes, Boyer's going to go away sooner or later. Uh, Harvick's probably going to run until he doesn't feel like it anymore. Almirola's going to be there for a while because him and Tony Stewart go back to Almirola sleeping on Stewart's uh, motor coach whenever he was just learning everything about Joe Gibbs racing. So I see Almirola there as long as he wants to continue racing, as long as Smithfield backs him. If I'm Tony Stewart and Gene Haas, I don't care about, I mean, to G, again, that $5 million to Gene Haas is a drop in the bucket. Gene Haas is a billionaire. Gene Haas is pissing away more money on Formula One than you, me, Lee in Virginia, and all of our relatives will ever see in our lives. If I'm Gene Haas and Tony Stewart, and I want the best Stewart Haas racing program possible, $5 million from Eris is nice for, Eric, I mean, for uh, Daniel Suarez. I go after Christopher Bell. 
it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for sure. I mean, there's you're right. Um, Suarez certainly holds the key to as the next domino to fall. Once he falls, I think it'll fall into place. Um, yeah, it's gonna be wild to see because there's that right. There's right now two names being thro- tossed around between Suarez and Hemrick, and there's three ride, three pretty significant rides open. So you have to go sit there and go, okay, well, who's gonna be in the, the, the who's gonna be in the ride that um, is out there? That's gonna be sort of the leftover ride where when Suarez settles down and when Hemrick settles down, who's gonna go to the other ride that's out there? And there's not really being names tossed around. Maybe a guy like Matt DiBenedetto or Trevor Bain, who's been linked to the Xfinity Series with Junior Motorsports, um, or even Jane McMurray, who is out of a ride, it looks like, in the one car. Um, maybe those guys are names that are, that are brought back and, and, and run. So uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to see. I can't wait um, to see how this all plays out. It's going to be wild. Something, you know, and when you look at the 31, a lot of people had Ty Dillon, moving to that car and maybe opening up the 13 car at your main racing. That is not the case. Ty Dillon was testing today that a bunch of the cup teams and drivers were in Kansas for a tire test today. And Ty Dillon came out and said, I have a contract through the 2020 season with Jermaine racing. I'm staying right where I am. Certainly that team has not performed nearly as well as they should have. Um, I think they're a byproduct to RCR struggling uh, and the Chevrolet and the Camaro and all that kind of stuff. But still, um, you know, it's not been a very good year at all for Jermaine Racing and Ty Dillon in that 13 car, but he's staying where he's at. Um, I think that, you know, that contract's pretty solid there. Um, so he's not going to go to the 31. So whoever, whether it's Suarez or Hemrick that goes to the 31, I think it's going to be one of the two. Um, they're they're going to drive the 31. They're not going to drive the 13. That is for sure. All right. You know, and John, we we talk about this all the time in in in, in stock car racing and race auto racing uh, in general. Um, you know, this goes from you know when I was a kid, we all losing Neil Bonnet, you know, um, losing uh, Dale Earnhardt and uh, Tony Roper and Adam Petty and Kenny Irwin and all these drivers that we saw pass in a race car. Uh, Rodney Orr, even when I was a little little kid. Um, and I'm sure you can remember way, way back, and some some great drivers. You know, Richie Evans. I'm sure you remember that one. Uh, a lot of these, a lot of big name drivers. Uh, you know, just just passing away in a race car. It's, it's a tough thing for us who love this sport and love auto racing to come to the realization that unfortunately um, bad things can happen when this uh, when accidents happen because accidents are going to happen in this sport and bad things can happen. And unfortunately, John, uh, this weekend up in Pennsylvania. Uh, another bad accident happened in a sprint car. Yeah, unfortunately, um, matter of fact, my favorite sprint car driver from the Pennsylvania Posse, and he was a import. Um, he was a 1983, or no, 93 uh, World of Outlaws Rookie of the Year. Uh, Greg Hodnut um, lost control going into turn one at the Baps Motor Speedway and lost his life. Um we're losing too many sprint car drivers too soon. We lost Jason Leffler in a sprint car a couple of years ago. We lost Jason Johnson, who won the world of uh, won the Knoxville Nationals a couple of years ago, earlier this season. Whenever he went over the wall in uh, Wisconsin and lost his life, um, Brian Clawson, Greg Hodnick. Yeah, we lost Brian Clawson last year. Um, Greg Hodnick could do un- almost anything with a sprint car. 
I've watched him many, many times whenever I would go back home to Pennsylvania. My, that was my dad's favorite driver. He said he loved watching Hodnett run. He could he won seven track championships at Williams Grove. And Williams Grove is a place whenever the world of outlaws come in, they don't beat the posse very often. And Greg Hodnett, originally from Memphis, Tennessee, moved to Pennsylvania after the world of outlaws career didn't work so good, found a ride in Pennsylvania, wound up sticking there. He uh, drove for some of the best teams that Pennsylvania had. He drove for Apple Motorsports. He drove for Al Hamilton. And uh, most recently, before he passed, he drove for Hefner Racing. And I think one of the um, perfect ways it was said was a tweet from Tony Stewart Racing. Is we all know the risks and rewards this sport presents, but the shocking and sudden loss that racing can bring is always a harsh reminder that neither today or tomorrow is promised. Our thoughts and prayers the friends and family and fans of Greg Hodnett and Hefner Racing. Um, Godspeed, Greg. That was a tweet from Tony Stewart Racing. Greg Hodnett was amazing in a 410 sprint car. And those things are basically rockets on four wheels, and they weigh 1,300 pounds. They are so easy to lose control over. Um to drive, I mean, you look, Tony Stewart was a three-time Sprint Cup champion, and he said the toughest thing he's ever had to learn to drive was a 410 Sprint car. To be able to control a Sprint car, win as many races as Greg Hoddett did. He, run, he won 20 World of Outlaw races, 25 All-Star Circuit of Champions. He won 70-plus races throughout Central Pennsylvania. He was a track champion at Port Royal, Williams Grove, just a phenomenal race car driver. And everybody you talk to after um, Greg Hodnett lost his life, nobody had anything but good things to say about him. All the young racers that came up, they all said that I could go to Greg Hodnett and ask what happened. How does how do you do this? And he would share. It wasn't like he was the old guy saying there, you have to figure it out yourself, kid. He shared where he found the... Uh, grip in the track, where he found the moisture, where he found the fast way around. Um, again, the list is getting long. Jason Johnson, Brian Clawson, Jason Leffler, um, and now Greg Hodnett. Godspeed, Greg. Uh, hope you found a nice oval up in heaven and throw some dirt at somebody. Yeah, certainly a, a somber day. I think everybody in the racing community certainly uh, felt the pain. You know, we've all been there as far as like, you know, a driver that you, or a driver that you um, see on a weekly basis losing your life. And whether, you know, it was years ago when you were a kid or, or fresh in your mind when you, if you watch Brian Clawson and all that kind of stuff, uh, certainly a, a sad situation and uh, nothing that gets easier. And unfortunately, I don't think it's a danger that is going to go away anytime soon. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles tonight. This roller race is going to be very interesting, so we'll keep an eye on that. We'll keep an eye on the, on the news as well. Supposedly, the 2018 rule, 2019 rule package will come out here in the next week or two. If, if, if it does, we'll be here ready to talk for you on Talking Circles. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next time.